through this time, we had a lot of dealings with the church in its various phases and its various forms. It's always a pleasure to be in what is my hometown, Chelsea, Oklahoma, that um, there is a church there that I've watched for virtually all my life. And I've watched that it has changed and changed and changed and has become a very relational, very relational, very faith-filled, moving forward church. It's always refreshing to be there and to minister there and to, to see what God is doing there. But we were, we were exposed in, in our areas of relationship to many other examples of church while we were there. And it's not bad. I'm not, I don't want you to think that I'm saying it's bad. I'm saying it's in process. <clears throat> and as I look at that, I realize that there is a real difference in, in just going to church and having church and being the church. That a lot of people, they, they go to church, they acknowledge that the church exists, but they're not the church. And while life comes apart around them, in these things they have no hope. But inevitably, they reach to those who are the church because they see something in us, they see something in you, they see something in me that they reach for. And I'm telling you, there's hope in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's hope in being able to, to look to what God has said and to hang on to that. And without it, what do you have? Not too long back, I talked to a young man at the time. He's 20 years old. And I, I was asking him about the things that he saw in these suicides around here. And, and one of the first things he said is that if you don't have God, then life makes no sense. And he's not a, he's not a kid that's out there just, just fanatically trying his best to please God. He's a, he's a guy that has accepted Jesus as his Savior and has grown in that. But he's very low-key about it. But one of the first things he said, having, having lost friends of his own, was without God, life don't make sense. And you know, I pondered that this week because my cousin runs an ambulance service and he, his crew was part of those that picked up a 10-year-old that had committed suicide in, in the area. And, and of course, they were broken up about that. And it's hard for these, these caregivers and these emergency services people to come into things like that and come on a scene like that. But I've thought about it a lot that, you know, without God, life just doesn't make sense. Why? People say, why does God not intervene in this, intervene in that? You know, there's all kinds of answers to that. But the, the big question is, why would we even exist? Why would we even be here if there wasn't a God? And when you acknowledge God, it changes everything. But for many of us, we're, we're practical atheists. That in this situation that I'm in right now, God is not taking a hand. So in this situation, he doesn't exist. Yes, he, he exists for someone else in that situation. But now I'm facing it. Now my family's facing it. And we just have to get through it. No, you have a God. 
And you will get through it. But you can get through it with him, or you can get through it without him. Life makes sense when God is in it. Every aspect of life maybe doesn't make sense as into why this happened and why that happened, but every aspect of life begins to make sense when God is in it. And you begin to understand how small we are and how large he is. And here are the, the words of the gospel writer that says, He must increase. I must decrease. And in the American church, we have taught this gospel of, I must increase so that he might increase. No, that's not the book. The book says, I must decrease so that he can increase. And when we begin to live life like that, then things perhaps don't, don't make a lot of sense as far as emotions and feelings goes. But you begin to understand that there are things I don't understand. And at the end of my not understanding, I must find myself with my head bowed saying, He's holy. He's absolutely other than me and I can't comprehend Him. And in my comprehension, I get to a place where I think I understand and then I find Him working so far outside of my understanding that I just have to bow my head again and say, He's just holy. He's so completely and absolutely other than me. But he invites me to himself. He reaches and pulls on my heart and waits for me to reach back and to begin to pull. And really that's what the development of leadership within the church is. That's what discipleship within the church is. Is someone who is a little bit farther up the mountain throws a line down to someone who is further down the mountain and waits to see if they take hold. If they take hold and pull back, you give them everything you have. If they don't take hold, you toss them the rest of the rope and pick up the rope and throw it to someone else. That's the way God works. He throws you salvation. Will you pick it up? Or will you not? Because if you don't, he moves on. The rope's still there. But he, he's, not found him, he's not finding himself in some kind of an exercise in futility. He is helping those who lay hold of that and begin to move in his direction. Then he gives you grace. He gives you grace. He gives you the ability to operate outside yourself until he draws you into something that is more real than anything you can experience here in the natural. How does he do that? I don't know. He's God. And I've come to the conclusion that I will never know, although I'm one who tries to insist on knowing and tries to give God all kinds of reasons why I should know. And I'm reminded of the psalm that says he sits in his heavens and laughs, laughs because he's put his king on the holy hill. He's established his king. And in the moment, the moment that I think I've got to be king is the moment I lose sight of him and begin to walk in ways that are not everlasting, but walk in ways of darkness and, and begin to go more and more in that. I'm glad I serve a God with a sense of humor, aren't you? I'm really glad when I wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. I thank God you do have a sense of humor. Gravity is taking over. <laughs> I was listening this past week a couple of different times to Karen's message. And what a powerful message it was, Karen. Tremendous blessing to me. But I was just thinking of this man that was brought 
and let down through the roof in front of Jesus. And thinking of the power of bringing another person to Jesus. I don't find any, any suggestion in Scripture, and I was following it through as she was preaching. I don't, I don't find any suggestion that this man called for these guys to come and get him. They went after him. Now think for a moment how different that is from, from the activity of a lot of the church of our day. Because if we're not careful, we stand around outside of the situation and we look at it and we think of every reason why God might not heal this person. Or why God might not save this person. What God might do or what God might not do. And, and we're, we're very slow to go to these individuals and give them every reason to grab their pallet, to grab their blanket and begin to tug on it and say, there's a reason that we believe in healing. There's a reason that we believe in deliverance. There's a reason to believe that God will get involved in your deal. There's a reason to believe that God will kill your addiction. There's a reason to believe that. And as I, as I look at it, I didn't see this man struggling to respond to the truth. I saw at least four guys probably grabbing his pallet, grabbing his bed and carrying him. And they were the, I believe you called it roof wreckers, they were the roof wreckers, not the man that was sick. Think of how different that is the way we normally act. I, I've been uh, talking back and forth with Chelsea, trying very hard not to, not to put undue pressure on her because I don't want it to feel that way. But think of the opportunity with her brother. Uh, he doesn't have the history. He's not going to jump up and make a great faith statement and grab hold of healing, but think of the opportunity to bring that to him and to bring him into a face-to-face -face confrontation with Jesus. My Lord. Now, maybe the door won't open, but maybe it will. Let's not operate of what if the door don't open. Let's operate in what if it will. What if it does change? What if there is a miracle? It'll get people's attention, won't it? The, the behavior of these men really impacted me. It was because of the righteous behavior of these men that carried him to Jesus. It was because of their righteous behavior that this man got healed. Not because of this man's great faith. You see how opposite it is to most of our thinking? Now, I'm going to begin, I'm going to, I'm going to do this more of, of um, just a verse-by-verse -verse thing this morning. I really felt the challenge of God. I was, I was writing out an outline this morning, doing it all by hand and doing it, like you mentioned it last week, I was doing it old school and uh, didn't even have my electronics open and God said, stop it and preach out of what's been in your heart all week. And I just jotted down a couple of notes to keep me focused and keep me off of rabbit trails. And here we go. How's that? Uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. His faith is reckoned as righteousness. And I am reading out of New American Standard. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. 
Now just let me say that this is talking about the beginning of belief and faith. And if you really believe and engage in faith, there will be some works around you. Uh, we'll get into that probably at another time. But let me talk to you about believing and faith for a moment. First of all, they cannot be completely separated because one begins with the other and the other is, uh, operates through the other and so on and so forth. But I was trying to think of an illustration this morning. The best I could come up with is um, if you go to look at a car that you're thinking about buying, that car is an object. You can walk around it, you can kick the tires, you can, you can look underneath it, you can start it, you can do all of these things while you're trying to decide. Now here's where the illustration comes in. You're never going to find believing or faith as a used car or as that kind of an object. We've tried to set it out here as, as an object that we could completely define and that people could walk around all those definitions and come up totally confused about what it was. We, we really made an effort to do that without knowing it. But the truth is, believing and faith are something that you can't just look at in a definition and say, oh, I've got it. It is a a process of deciding that you enter into. And when you get to the word righteousness, now the basic definition of righteousness is right relationships with God and man. But the Bible says that because he believed that it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Because Abraham decided to believe something that he did not formally believe. Now think about Abraham's whole situation for a moment. Here's this old man, older than me. And God comes to him and says, you're going to have a natural born son. Now, it's, it's here. We can, if we go back into the original wording, you can see it. Study it on your own, but take it from me. It's there. That Abraham considered that. He worked with that in his mind. And it must have been something like this. I'm 75 years old. And now I'm going to tell people that I'm going to have a son. I've even got to tell my wife that we're going to have a son. Now those of you that are more than 70 years old, the guys, think of the step of faith that was for Abraham, that, that he decided that he would believe God. Sarah laughed. Yeah, I hear some of these ladies chuckling now. Folks, Abraham decided that he would start right where God's word to him was concerning his need and he would engage in whatever activity he could to make that happen. But it was first without works. It was first having made a mental soul decision that God has spoken to my need. Now that's where I want you to think about faith and the promise of God. I'm sure many of you remember those, those days when they had the little box on the coffee table and they had these little cards in them and said, God's promises. 
And there was a bunch of them. And I noticed that those that had them, the, the amount got smaller and smaller because people would read through them and they'd grab this one. This is mine. This is my promise. And away they go. That's fine. But that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the promise of God. The promise of God is God's word to you concerning your need. It's when God breathes his breath, his life, his word into you about your need. About what it is that is before you that you're facing and, and you take it to God and, and He breathes something into you. He begins to say something to you. He begins to make you aware that He is getting involved and that He has an answer. And then you choose belief that moves into faith by how you react to that word. And that's, that's the picture we get of Abraham that, that God begins to justify us at salvation. Let me identify that quickly in the original language and in the original culture, that because you are a Roman citizen, Rome, Rome was establishing its people throughout the world because it was going to rule the entire world. That was the design of the city of, of, the city of Rome and the rule of Rome. Now, when people were born a Roman... Wherever they went in the world, they were justified. It was justified to them to take the rights of Roman citizenship and to call on the Roman government to provide them to live in the style of Rome and to put that into the places they were. That was what just, that's what the word justified would have meant back in those days to the Roman citizen. Now, the Bible says that we are justified... We're established as a citizen of heaven by being born again and, re and we, we realize that we have got a breath of God that is breathing in us and we're going to follow that and we're justified in living that way and whom he justifies, he also glorifies, he gives the right and authority to move in the world in that way. Now, when I choose to believe that, then I start moving ahead in the kingdom of God. Now I have a choice. I can believe that I will always be where I was born naturally to be. That I will always be of that family, of that household. That my life will look like the generations of that family. That I will be, I will be plagued with the, with the uh, income levels of that family. I will be plagued with the habits of that family. I will be plagued, plagued with all of the things that, that cause difficulty in that family. I can believe that. And that's the easiest route. That's the very easiest way to go. Or I can believe that I was really born again. And that when the Spirit of God began to breathe life in me, that something happened on the inside of me, and I was welcomed as a joint heir with Jesus into the kingdom of God, and I became a member of the church of the firstborn believers. I can believe that, and I will get on a roadway that begins to lead me in ways of righteousness for His name's sake, and realize that when I believe that way and begin to do my best to hear Him and move with Him, then that is reckoned to me as righteousness. 
That word reckoning means that there is an established point that you look to for direction and you take it into the, into the nautical terms and there, there are established points throughout, throughout the globe that sailors learn that there's certain stars they can look at and there are certain points of land they can look at and by looking at those things they can reckon not only their direction but where they are right now. As you begin to understand that you truly are born again, that you He didn't just give you power to overcome your past life. He cut that thing off and let you start a new life right there if you will let Him do it. And when you begin to go down that pathway, and no matter how little you might know, that you begin to look to Him and take hold of His things by faith and draw them into your life, that He reckons that that's righteousness. Now, where I grew up, when you reckon something, you just look at, the, look at the, uh, all of the evidence and say, yeah, I reckon that's so. That's, that's Oklahoma, good Oklahoma English. It sometimes doesn't work outside of Oklahoma and Arkansas, but I reckon that's up to them. <laughs> but when God looks at you laying hold of who you are, laying hold of what He's given you, and you refusing to be what you were, but becoming what you are. When He looks at that, He reckons you're righteous. <laughs> I hope I've made that term good enough for you. If not, you can spend six months in Oklahoma and you get it. <laughs> now, I want to go on. I'm going to jump down now to verse 13 of that same chapter, Romans 4, verse 13. I want to just take my time going through these verses right now. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants. Now, you don't have to look now, but if you look in Galatians, the end of chapter 3, it'll says that we are the descendants of Abraham by faith. We, the church, is the descendants of Abraham spiritually. The promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It's not through a list of things that would define who you are, what you are, and how you got there, and who your grandchildren are going to be. That's not it. It's through the right relationships of having laid hold of what God has provided and realized that the blood of Jesus provided all this. Precious blood providing for better promises, a better covenant, a better agreement. It's all provided. And when we lay hold of that, we're demonstrating that we are descendants of Abraham. For if those who are of the, get this, for if those who are of the law are heirs. Now let me talk about the law for just a minute. Remember that the law came through Moses and Moses went up into the mountain and he came down with these tablets and on these tablets was, was written at least the beginning of the law. And then the, God's little helpers began to write things into the law that wasn't there originally, but they began to write things into the law until it became a pile of paperwork about three feet high. And he uh, says it's not through the law. The law, if notice when, when Moses came down from the mountain, the people had been invited to the mountain, but they told Moses, you go up and you hear God, and then you come down and you tell us what to do. Moses brought down the law in answer to the question, what must I do? Let that sink in. If faith is based, any, if you're, what you're calling faith is based in any way on what you must do, it's not faith. It's a believing of the law. 
But faith is based on what he done. Faith is based on, I choose to believe in his will, in his way. I begin to lay hold of that and to move with it. And it's, it's believed in, it's, it's established that I am of faith. But it says, if it's of the law, if what you're doing is based in any way in what must I do, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified. So all of, all of this thought processes that says, well, I don't have enough faith. I'm going to have to memorize more scripture. I don't have enough faith. I'm going to have to pray longer and more often. You're nullifying faith if you do that. Do we memorize scripture? Some of us do. Do we pray? All of us do. But is that the basis of my faith? None of us. Is that our basis of faith? It might help us to expand, help us to understand, help us to know. It might make us feel better, but it's not faith. Faith is based simply on the fact that Jesus died for my sins. And that I believe that, and I believe that he would not have died if I was supposed to stay in the same condition. So I lay hold of that which he has spoken to me, and I begin to move forward. Now I'm going to say something that's going to rock some of your boats. Probably already have. The Bible does not say that the Godhead is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. It says it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This Bible is a wonderful thing. I live in it. I, it's alive to me, and it comes alive to me. But I must make it mine, and I must hear the whisper of His Spirit inside of me before I can make it mine, because otherwise it's not a promise to my condition. Not a promise to my need. It's a promise to those other people. But there's, this is the Word of God. It really is. But the Word that's most often talked about is, those, is the Word that is whispered in our heart. Jesus told, was it the Pharisees, that He said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have life. It's not in this that I have life. It's in hearing him and walking with him and having him to help me to understand what he has put down for us. This is an amazing book. I want you to know that, and it's more than a book. But it's not part of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And that's the way this thing works. And don't, don't that just grind on your charismatic Pentecostal roots? It just... But it is true. There's a difference in Scripture. And in the Word of God being breathed into you. And the difference is being, enabling you to walk by faith. Now, verse 15. For the law brings about wrath. Now let's work with that a minute. It's easy to pass by, but let's work on it a minute. What must I do brings about wrath in me. Why? Because I realize I can't do it. I realize I can't live up. I can't measure up to it. I, I can take everything that this Bible lists as, as even the commandments of God. And I, I look at that and think, like Paul said, I'm a wretched man. How, who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? What did Paul answer? I thank God through Jesus Christ I'm delivered. You see, if it was by law... 
then we would spend all of our time angry because, oh, I can't do that. We're pushing it aside and say, that's not for me because it, I, you just don't know how bad I am. But it's not through law. Let's go on with it. That it might be, over, for where there is no law, there is no violation. Get that? Boy, that's a whole new, another message. 16, for this reason it's by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. You see, from the very beginning, God realized that we were going to need His breath. We were going to need His, His, His breathing in us. We were going to need His, His Word coming to us, working in us and working out from us. He realized we were going to need that, and He determined from the beginning that He would give us grace. That He would give us His own, own power, His own ability to fulfill what needed to be fulfilled. Why? Not so that, so that we could keep the law, but so that we could have the life that He has. So that we could have the fullness of, of life that is available to Him. So for this reason, it's through faith so that we might respond to the grace. Because grace is not going to help you keep the law. Grace is going to help you reach beyond who you ever thought you could be. Grace is going to help you reach beyond what your ancestors demand that you be. It's going to help you be reach beyond what your family demands that you be. There's, there's a wonderful opportunity when we begin to deal with, with uh, I'll just say it the way I know to say it, with unsaved family. There's a wonderful opportunity. I can either get into their mess and start arguing and, and taking offense and causing all kinds of family stuff. Or I can act like Christ. It's up to me. I have that choice. Grace will help me respond like Christ every time. It will help me not to use that as an instance to be, to be mean and to, to argue and to cause, cause problems. And just let me say that I, I noticed this way back when, when Diana, Leslie's mom, uh, my first wife, when she died, something that I noticed for four years and before her death and knowing that she was dying, that... It's best to live your life where there's no regrets. It's best to not have to sit around a deathbed and, and cry and ask forgiveness and try to mend it while somebody's not even, not even with it in their mind. It's best to just live your life where there's no regrets. Where you can stand beside that grave and say, I have no regrets. I loved them at the best of my ability like Jesus would love them. I responded to them and talked to them to the best of my ability like Jesus would respond and talk to them. And when you can stand there and do that, I'll tell you what, it's a feeling like nothing else. I remember going back out after the, after the burial and standing by that grave late at night and saying, God, I thank you that we had nothing to resolve at the end. There's nothing. What a pleasure. What a privilege it is to do that. And you can do it with anybody. It don't matter how they act. Don't matter how the extended family acts. What matters how I act. That I can stand there and say, I did the best I could do to be like Jesus. And you can try to take that, but you can't take it because before Him, you're clean. Only grace can do that. Only grace can do that. That's how He loves His church. That's how He loves His church. Do you understand when somebody decides to walk away from God, that he stands where he is in holiness and righteousness and looks at that with grief in his heart but says, I've done all I can do. It's up to them what they do. Hmm. And no, he won't be a, a good American parent and cave in and do what they want. He does what he does. He's God. 
And he just moves right on in righteousness and holiness and lets them go, knowing that he's done what he can do. Hmm. For this is the reason it's by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise might be certain to all descendants. And I need to talk about that a minute. Some of the things that has been demanded in the past for you to develop faith are impossible to some people. And I'm telling you that faith and grace is not impossible to anyone. If there's a certain amount of scripture that I must learn before I develop and, and get in the strength of faith, first of all, show me in here how many scriptures that is. And second of all, what's going to happen with those that can't read? We have pastors in the mountains of Mexico that can't read. They're preaching between meetings where they go to leadership instruction meetings. They're preaching that until the next meeting because they can't read. They've got to hear God. Are they unsaved? Can they operate by law? No to both questions. But they can operate by faith. It's open to everybody. I have a very good friend right here in the United States that simply cannot sit and read the Bible. He can't. Great man, wonderful man of God. But he can't read. You say, well, he should have faith. You know, that's the response of the, of the, of the hyper-faith movement. Well, he should have faith. Well, why don't we have faith and take him to Jesus? Which is what we've done. We've provided the word on scripture, on tape, on his tape when he got it. It's probably on CD now. But where he could, as he's driving back and forth to work and around doing the things he does, that he could listen to scripture. But he's developed a strong knowledge of God and a very strong faith in God and a very strong wisdom that comes from living for God in the face of other people telling him he can't. Tremendous things happen. And it's all outside of being able to read this and memorize scripture. And I'll tell you what, it's very easy to decide that, well, faith comes through much praying. Have you ever sat down in, in your own prayer time and began to just measure how much repetition there is in filling up those hours that you think you must pray? Hmm. I think Jesus had something to say about that. I think he might have called that vain, empty, useless repetition. I'm not trying to bring condemnation. I'm trying to bring it back to where it is. That prayer is communication. That's, that's the bottom line. Prayer is communication. And we need to talk to God and give Him time to respond. And as for me, I, I really love to just get silent before the Lord and listen to Him. You know, He's got some really interesting things to say. He knows quite a bit. You know, he, he, He's pretty smart. And... As I listen to him, there's something alive begins to fill me, and I begin to respond verbally out of that. Sometimes it's a prayer in tongues, because I don't know how to pray about what he's saying. I, I don't even know. I, it's so far beyond me. He's talking, but I can, in faith, begin to speak in another tongue as the Spirit of God gives utterance, and know that the Spirit himself 
is approaching God for me in a right way. I can know that. And I've found that I can live my life. I'm in tune with God on this level, and I'm in tune with the world on this level. I'm listening and sometimes speaking, listening, sometimes speaking, listening, sometimes saying nothing, but I'm communing with God. And yes, there are seasons of prayer where I pray for hours on end about a situation. Why? Not because I'm trying to move God, but I'm trying to get God to move me. I'm trying, I'm trying to get God to get me out of the way so that whatever he has to do can come through. And I realize that's what the deal is. Folks, moving God, come on. God's been on the move for a long time. And he's never stopped. And we just got to try to keep up. And we need to understand that. that we, we think too highly of ourselves sometimes, thinking that it all depends on us, when in reality it all depends on Him. And my goodness, for the American mindset, that's rough. But it's, according with, it's in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all descendants, not only to those who are the law, but those who are also the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And we could go on and on and on through that. But, folks, if we're going to come out of this series on faith, and I'm not sure we're out of it yet, but if we're going to come out of it with anything, I want you to come out, out of realizing that you can relax. You can relax. Because faith is something that is there and it matures, it grips into the realms of God, and it begins to pull that which is unseen into the world of the seen. And the minute it arrives here, it's no longer faith. It's life. It's reality. We're living it. So we reach again, and we pull again, and pulling His world into ours, laying hold of something that is beyond us, and just hanging on. And living life and hearing God. Living life and hearing God. Now sometimes you do hear God through this. But sometimes you hear it through a child. Sometimes you hear it through one of these people sitting in this room. Sometimes you hear God just, it seems like it's just out of nothing. All of a sudden God is speaking. He does that to me sometimes. I'm asking him about something and holding it before him, holding it before him. I'm busy, got both hands doing something fully engaged and all of a sudden God's talking. And you learn to hear that. And you learn to just keep doing what you're doing and let Him talk because you'll be so much more engaged in Him than you will in what you're doing that it can cause some scars. I've got them all over my hand. But the thing is that you won't have any trouble hearing God once you understand that He wants to talk to you and you open up to it because you're made for that. You're made to hear God. You're made to walk with God. And once you start hearing Him, you'll have a great revelation that I've always been hearing Him. I just hadn't been paying attention. Because He thinks, He says things that are so absolutely other than what we expect Him to say. We ask Him for something. And we expect Him to do what we ask in the way that we ask it. And so instead of backing off and listening to Him about it, we just continue to ask Him, God, I want, 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 God, I want. And somewhere in there, He was talking all along, redirecting, letting you know the path of righteousness. And you weren't hearing Him because He wasn't doing exactly what you asked and exactly the way you thought it would be. Folks, 
We are full of that in the church worldwide, and God is bringing His people back to a place of hearing. This service at Monroe City next Sunday, if you, if you can come and you're one that can pray the prayer of faith and is willing to just pray in the face of the impossible, come. Because we're asking God for the impossible in that house down there. We're asking Him to reach in beyond all kinds of years of, of not hearing Him to reach in and help some people hear. And you know what? He'll do it. He'll do it. And we're not, we're not talking about a hyped up service. We're talking about a service where the presence of God is going to be manifest in such a way that you, you're aware of the manifestation of His presence. And then we're going to do some stuff in that presence. We might work in it. We might play in it. We might do whatever. But we're going to do some stuff. Back to the subject of having been exposed to many facets of the church this week. As usual, I came away from there so glad to be a part of Christ Family Church. And I was even more glad as I listened to the message and realized how Karen was just bringing a revelation about just foundational faith and how we can come in and, and really can grab hold of things and expect to see things happen. God makes them happen. My expectation is what moves the hand of God. But as as I realize that we are the church here. And now, always in the summer, it looks like this, because at any given week on the summer, there's half of us that are out having fun. You realize we started the church that way? We told people when it comes to vacation time, go on vacation. Don't feel condemned if, if you can't be here every Sunday. You realize we started it that way. Why? Because this is an organic house of God. It's not an organized house of God. And we're not going to have you feel condemned because you need to go see Grandma. Grandma needs to see you. Go see her. And if it only works on Sunday, then do it on Sunday. But don't get disappointed when you see that, that, that the count is down because in God's mind, we're moving ahead. And there's a promise back there that will meet our need. I mean, there's His Word to our situation. And one of the things that's happening is you... You would probably be amazed. I know I've been amazed at how many people from the outside are talking to some people here about God. They're being drawn in. They're not here yet. Sometimes you'll work with people for a couple of years before you ever see them show up. But they'll show up. Why? Because we're not trying to condemn them into the seats. We're trying to draw them into the kingdom. And the way I do that is operating by grace through faith, not by doing all of the stuff of, oh, you have to read this, and once you read this, I want you to contact me, and then we'll have somebody from the church call you, then we'll have somebody from the church visit you. Do you know that 90%, and I'm, that's a real number, 90% of this generation, when you talk about somebody calling them or visiting them about church, they go, ah, I ain't answering the door. Why? Because we have an unrelational culture. And the only way relationships are going to be established is by us demonstrating our relationships and reaching in and developing relationships one-on-one and becoming the answer to their need, and they don't even know it. And in that, you become a part of the Word of God to them because God's building a relational house, and He will have nothing less. His kingdom thrives on the currency of relationship. That's Leslie's message. I'll let her have it. But his kingdom thrives on that currency. 
And we need to insist that that's the way of our lives. That I will take an assignment. I told you before that Chelsea and I have an assignment that we really didn't want, and it's not, it's not developing very well, but deep in me I still know it's an assignment. At, at one point this, this assignment made contact, and I'm going, oh no. But God says, oh yes. And so I'm kind of excited to see what's happening. We'll see what goes on there. Because it's a God deal. And that means he's in it way before us, and he's prepared now for you to come in it. He'll put you in contact with those people when he can trust you to respond out of your spirit and not out of your emotions. We have to learn to first touch things in the spirit before we allow our emotions to touch them. And we have created a culture where we're all caught up in what happened to us yesterday and, and what this church did wrong to us and what happened to all that. We're all caught up in that nonsense. That's emotion. The Holy Spirit says, I'm right here, I'm doing things, I'm moving ahead, and this is what it looks like, and it's not for you to worry about, just move on, it's not by law, it's by faith through grace, just go on, and if you go on, if you lay hold of him and just move on, then it's accounted unto you for righteousness. Not anything about the law, it's how you respond to his word to you right now, that's what accounts for righteousness. But the enemy wants to talk to us about all those things that are buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. You made a big mistake yesterday, right? Most of us did. God don't remember that unless you bring it up. And then he wishes you wouldn't. But he remembers what he's doing with you right now. So let's pray together. As we, as we close, let's pray together and ask God. I don't know. First, I do want to ask God to give us favor in the community, but do you realize He's already done that? I hear people talking about people in this church as I move around the community. We've got a good reputation. I met with a pastor recently that I haven't talked to him in years, a lot of years. And he was here in town, and he, he said, Man, your church has got a great reputation in the community. So every time I hear people talk about it, it's got a great reputation. You know what I was able to answer? I know, and we try to cultivate that. We try to guard that and keep that. Because we want the community to know that you can come to them, not to me, but they can come to one of you. And you'll take them right into the presence of God and touch the heart of God for them. And that's what I want the community to know. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask you for favor, continued favor in the community. God, I... In the way of prayer, I want to challenge the people to step up and become more involved. Lord, it's so easy when you're a relational church to just become involved in, in the relationships of the church. And God, the reason I'm saying this in the way of prayer is I want you to remind me of that. And God, it's so easy to be just involved in a small circle of the church that we forget that we have all these other relationships that are waiting for a demonstration of your spirit among them. God, help us to recognize the favor of the community when we see it. Help us to recognize that, that people are reaching and people need answers. And it's not about what, whether those people attend church or not. It's about whether or not they respond to the Spirit of God or not. God, we just ask you to give us favor. But Lord, more than that, I pray that every person this morning that has sat here and listened 
will be confronted by the reality of who they are. Lord, they're not the history of their, fam their natural family. They are not the history of their mistakes up until now. But they were touched by you and they're born again and they have a newness of life living within them that will bring them forward into everything you ever planned them to be. Help us to be confronted with that. God, I pray for your touch, your grace on these people. Help us to go forth with a confidence, but not just a confidence of, of a method, but that we go forth hearing you and speaking out of that, knowing that you, you designed us for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Fire